morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good? Doesn't seem to be very convincing. I hope it's just because of the smoke outside. I hope that after this, you feel better, right? Um, I know that Seattle is typically not like this. It's warm, it's sunny. That is like the trap of Seattle. It's so beautiful outside. Unfortunately, today it's a bit smoky. Uh, I can tell, like, uh, and also sorry, like, I have a little bit of a voice problem, uh, probably because of the smoke outside. Not sure, uh, but hope that you can hear me well. Because today we're going to continue on the topic that we've been talking about, uh, freedom from chain. Uh, and, you know, like in the past, if I'm listening to the word freedom from chain, it brings me, like, I'd like to make some, some uh, unhealthy joke. Uh, back then, our senior pastor, his name is Chan, and we like to joke like, freedom from Chan. You know, my Chan is gone, I've been set free. It's a wild, wild time because there is no pastor, there is no responsibility, there is no one that is watching you. But that is not the kind of freedom that I want to talk about today, right? And Pastor Chris, if you're listening to this, like, I'm sorry for that. Uh, no longer making that kind of joke. Uh, the, the freedom from chain we're going to talk about today is that, you know, uh, it's not just the feeling that you have no responsibility in your life. Because responsibility is not the same as being chained. Re having responsibility in your life, it doesn't equate with not having any freedom. I believe, however, having freedom is having the ability to choose for your direction, having the ability to, fulfill, to fulfill your destiny in your life. Amen. You don't seem to be convinced here. Can I get an amen? All right, this side kind of convinced. What about that side? Are you convinced that you have freedom in the Lord? No? Oh, come on. We are free people. We have freedom in the Lord. I believe that with all my heart, that God has set us free so that we can fulfill the destiny in our lives. He has set us free to empower us so that we can pursue the dreams. He can pursue the full potential that He has set for you and I in our lives. Amen. Okay, better. So, whenever that we're talking about free, uh, freedom from chain, we're talking about being able to move around, being able to pursue the destiny, being able to move forward and to reach the goal that God has placed for you and I. Today, we're gonna con uh, when we're talking about freedom from change, we're going to learn a lot from the Israelites. You know, they were bound in bondage before, and we're going to get into that verse shortly. But while they were in chain, while they were under slavery in Egypt, they cannot fulfill the promises that God has to place in their lives. Of being a big nation, of being uh, a blessing to everybody, they cannot do anything while they're in chain. And I believe that we as Christians, sometimes we allow chain to happen in our lives. You know, that we cannot fulfill the promises that God has for you and I. Now, when we're talking about the free, uh, freedom from chain today, the topic that I want to talk about is be free and stay free. Be free and stay free. Because being free sometimes is easy. It's a gift. We live in the United States, and there's, uh, there's this saying like, 
It is the land of the free. We have freedom. We have liberty. That is something that is just given to us. But staying free in our lives, sometimes it's an option because it's easy for us to lose our freedom through the wrong decision that we make in our lives, through the stupid decision that I make in my life, sometimes I lost my freedom. Am I right? I like to think about freedom like a key. It can open and it can lock doors, but it allows you to have options. What doors are you going to open? What doors are you going to close in your lives? And a lot of times, we use these keys irresponsibly in our lives that we lock and we misplace it, that we just lock the potential that we're supposed to pursue. We lock our own doors that we cannot reach our full potential. You know, this is something that I recently learned as a millennial. Uh, my son is no longer called a Gen Z, apparently. I didn't know that. He's actually the first uh, generation of Generation Alpha. I don't know why it's called Generation Alpha, but bear with me. As a millennial, there's a lot of things that we don't understand because it's an old technology. Like, my dad used to say, like, back in my days, computers are so huge. Huge! It used cards, and it, it, uh, we have to poke holes on it. And after that, like, it runs hours and hours and hours. Today, you know, I have no idea of what a giant computer looks like. You know, you probably can relate with me. And you, Gen Z, you probably don't know what a telephone booth looks like. Right? But Generation Alpha is even worse. If you're listening, Generation Alpha, you're in a Sunday school right now, most likely. They've never actually seen a physical key before. A lot of Generation Alpha, they, they have no idea of what a key is. In their mind, it's, it, it is a fingerprint locker. You use your fingerprint, it'll open. You punch a bunch of numbers, it opens. But they have no concept that a key is like a metal thing that you insert inside of a hole, you turn it, once or twice and sometimes triple times, pull it out, then something opens. If you lock it, if you, pull, if you pull it, uh, turn it on the other side, it'll lock. Magic. Have no idea of what it is. So one time when we were on a vacation, we went to Europe and we stayed in this nice Airbnb. And uh, it is an older place where uh, they say that it's rustic. And my, my kids have no idea because in their mind, like, a key looks like just a bunch of numbers. Or at worst, it looks like a, a piece of card. You tap it, magic happens. But they've never seen a metal piece of stick that you need to put inside of a hole and turn. They got so, so marveled by this wonder of this metal piece. And they started playing with it. After we told them, do not play with this, they started playing with it. When we're asleep... Apparently, they woke up, they snuck out, and they started playing with it. Generation Alpha, I don't know what's wrong with you. And in the middle of the night, somebody started banging on the door. We thought that it's just the next door. And the banging gets louder, and somebody started crying, and we heard screaming. It's our daughter. She locked herself in a bathroom, and she doesn't know where the key is. Sometimes... I'm telling you this story because that sometimes I can relate with her. Out of our curiosity, out of the, 
the, the thing that we already heard we're not supposed to do, we snuck out and we started playing with the freedom that we have, with the key that we have in our lives. And we stick, uh, we got ourselves locked in a rut that we don't know how to get out from. Can you relate with that? Is it just me? That sometimes I make like silly, stupid decisions in, in my life. That I lost my freedom. I become bounded by things in my life because of the silly kind of decision that I made in my life. How many of you can relate with that? Right? It is not somebody else's fault. It is not your neighbor's fault. It is not your spouse's fault. Sometimes it's our own doing that we got ourselves in such a trouble, in such a situation where we lost our freedom, where the door no longer opens and we cannot get out. We, cannot, we can no longer uh, travel to places that we wanted to do, to go. And my dilemma back then is whether to kick the door open and pay like a couple hundred dollars or what do I do here? And good thing that my son knows after playing with, a, with all the key that, hey, there's a spare one and we were able to open it. Thank God. Or somebody else will be in a lock inside of the bathroom for a long, long time. Right? So, sometimes we lost our freedom because of the silly decision that we made in our lives. And you can go to the next slide, please. It's a little bit too uh, difficult to read here. It's a, it's a bit small. But this is what I believe. We as a Christian, we possess such a great calling and we possess such a great power that God has placed in our lives. Amen. We know that we are a weapon of a mass destruction to the kingdom of darkness. I believe that God has placed such an amazing call for you and I, not a so-so kind of life, but such a great life that God has envisioned to make a destruction to the kingdom of darkness, to be able to make changes in our community, in our world, in such a dramatic and meaningful way. And a lot of times, the enemies is afraid of that potential that you have in your life. And the easiest way to destroy a threat is by taking away someone's freedom. Not drastically, but slowly taking away your freedom. And this is exactly what happened to the Israelites. If you can read it to, with, together with me in Exodus uh, 1, uh, verse 7 until 9. Alright? This is what it says. The Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and become so, so numerous in the land that was filled with them. And back then they were in Egypt because Joseph was, a kid, was, a, was the second man after Pharaoh in Egypt, was the most powerful person, was worship, was, uh, was really influential. But then another king came into rule. And the new king, to whom Joseph meant mean nothing, came to power in Egypt. That's what it says. So no one knows who Joseph was anymore. And they lost their respect over their fellow Israelites. And this is what the new Pharaoh said. Look, he said to his people, Israelites have become far too numerous for us. They become a liability here. They become a threat. If war breaks out, they will our enemies fight against us and leave the country so now suddenly their view of the Israelites change they become strong 
They become big. Now they become a threat to us. And in order for us to hatch against this problem, we're going to turn them into slaves. And as a matter of fact, if you read into uh, the, the, uh, the post uh, verses after this, you will find that Pharaoh instructed for all baby boy to be murdered. So they will lost power to fight against the oppression. The easiest way to take away your calling, to take away the power that you have in your life, is by slowly taking away your freedom in your lives. And that is exactly what we want to try to prevent. We want to ask ourselves, are we still free? Because being free is a gift of God, but staying free is a work, it's a responsibility, it's something that we have to do. Full of God. Amen. It's not something that is easy. It sometimes requires a fight. It sometimes that it requires effort. Because staying free is work. Let's go to the next slide, please. And true enough, after the Israel becoming oppressed, they were under a slavery for so many and many and many years. It becomes something that they're so accustomed to. And when Moses came to the land of Egypt to free the Israelites, right? And this is the famous thing. He came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, let my people go, let my people go. Finally, Pharaoh, after all the miracles that happened in Egypt, let the people go. And when the people went away, they were chased by the army of the Egyptians. And Moses did something amazing. God did something amazing in front of him. He split the Red Sea into two. And people start walking uh, crossing the sea. And when the enemies were chasing, the sea closes back that everybody drowned. But the Israelites crossed the Red Sea safely and they worshiped the Lord. And immediately, you know, they start murmuring when they're hungry. They start complaining about all the problems, about walking in the desert. They start coming back to the old mentality that the word of God got to come to them. And God gave them the Ten Commandments. Maybe some of you still remember the Ten Commandments. It is guidance. And it is very interesting if you read the Ten Commandments, right? The first four is just relationship between man and God. Thou, sh thou shalt not have any idols etc etc but the fourth rule in particular is the one that i found to be very fascinating and sometimes i found it like what's the big out of this rule why is it so important that you have to stick in into the uh, the ten commandments this one rule i mean like it's hard for me to remember two things and now you want me to remember ten things so it better count that it must be something important if you want me to remember it it's so bizarre. This is the rule that he gave to the Israelites. Remember Sabbath. And remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. I mean... What a great commandment. Don't work. I mean it. You're thinking, you're thinking about doing extra work? You're thinking about diligence? Nope. 
Ah, uh-uh. don't do it. I want you to stop. It's so important, as a matter of fact, that it's repeated multiple times in the Bible, and apparently, it's so difficult for the Israelites to follow that it comes with a punishment. And you can read it after that, even it's carried to the New Testament chapters and chapters where a lot of the religious people took this law, took this matter in such a serious manner. And even as a matter of fact, until today, Sabbath is still a big, big deal. One of my favorite stores, it's called BNH. If you ever buy like electronics, this is like an online store. You will probably know it because they, say they carry a lot of selection cheap price and if you apply for the credit card there's no tax that's my favorite thing but the most interesting thing to me is that if you try to visit their their site on a saturday you will find that they will say like you cannot buy anything on this day and we will not ship anything on saturday because it's sabbath apparently it's so darn important it's so important it's so critical so i want to ask ourselves why is it important god why is sabbath so important to the israelites why do you have to give this commandment is it so important that you want to have like you know a church day for the lord is it so important that it becomes such a religious day but I believe that more than the important for the Lord, it is actually important to the Israelites. That is to break their mentality of slavery. You know, as a slave, you have no rest. You have no single day to say like, today I'm going to rest. No slave masters. Today is Sabbath. Let me rest. I'm not going to work today. There's no rest if you're under slavery. Whatever that is being requested out of you, you have to do. You're obligated to do it. And that is the mentality that the Israelite has. And it is such a destructive mentality that God has to take it away out of their system because you cannot operate, you cannot live as a free person until you get your mind renewed. The way that you think, that's the way that you see, and that's the way you do things. And you can go to the next slide. I believe it's so important because the hardest prison to escape is our own mind. And as long as we still see our slave self as a slave, as a victim, as somebody that is obligated to fulfill our sins, to fulfill our uh, sinful desire, you know, we cannot live as a free person. How many of us, we have heard the term like uh, the saying when people are saying, what can I do? I'm just a man. These are my temptations. I'm just a man. I cannot break free. I'm telling you, that is what remembering your Sabbath means. That God tells you that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a free person. If the devil starts whispering to you, asking you to do things, remember your Sabbath because you're a free person. Because that is what God has set us free from. And sometimes the hardest prison to escape is our own mind. You can go to the next slide. And this is the why it took the whole Israel 40 years to go from the prom- uh, from Egypt to the promised land. And I know like this, this map is probably too small for you to see. But you can see on the very top left there, that is their beginning of their journey. And their ending of the journey is at the very top right side. Jerusalem, Jericho, it's nearby. And you can tell like the 
The whole journey went down all the way to the tip of the land. Goes up, and then it, there's, it says that there's a bunch of wandering where they're just going in circles, going down again, going in circles again, before they're going up. Took the whole Israel's 40 years. And I, it got me asking myself, how long does it take actually for this whole journey to happen? And I opened the most trusty uh, tool out there, which is Google Maps. You can go to the next slide. Punch it in. How long does it take from Cairo to Jerusalem? It took about like six days walking. And I understand that there's not a lot of infrastructure back then. I'd probably say it at the worst case, right? That'll probably take you about 30 days a month. How is it possible? Didn't you have a GPS? Is our God a lost God that He took the whole Israelites in one in wonder? You know, something that should take like six becoming 40 years. I believe that that's not the reason, but I believe it's because of the mentality that got to be changed. Sometimes the way that our see, we see ourselves creates a trap. Sometimes the way that we see ourselves, our mentality creates a trap for ourselves that we cannot get out of from. And until we break free from our old mindset, until we take a leap of chance, until we decide that we're going to change, we're going to walk in circles. Can go to the next slide. There's this movie back in 1993 that is really, okay, it's not there. That's fine. Um, can you try to refresh? Anyways, back in 1993, this is a long, long time ago. You millennials probably remember what, it, what it's like, Gen X. But uh, Gen Z, I'm sorry, you probably don't know. But there's this wonderful movie that is so fa famous. It's called The Groundhog Day. How many of you have heard about this movie? Groundhog Day? Yeah, it was a low-budget movie. They didn't uh, anticipate this movie to be famous, to be good, doing well. Um, go, ahead, go ahead and watch this movie. I never, actually never really watched this movie, just clips out of it. But after reading the synopsis, this is in my to-watch list. It is very, very interesting because like there's this story about this reporter, a weatherman, Phil Collins, and he was uh, about to go to a small town in Pennsylvania to make a weather report during the Groundhog Day. Not a big deal, Groundhog Day. What, what's a Groundhog Day? That's exactly his point. And he's a very, very cynical kind of guy. He's a very lonely and cynical kind of guy, you know? And he's not happy about going to Pennsylvania because, like, what's so interesting about this whole Groundhog Day? And what's so interesting about the, the weather? And when he went there, obviously, being cynical, being a very critical person, he's just saying, like, it's going to be cold. There's going to be a storm. There's nothing interesting. And there's a storm that is going on there. And as a stupid movie, he got trapped in the town due to the snow. And not just being trapped in that town. You know, he got trapped in time. So every single day that he woke up, it's a groundhog day. And every single day, he got to repeat the same thing that he did yesterday. He got to repeat the weather of groundhog day. So you can imagine, and some mathematicians, people who are really into the movie, started doing the mathematics behind this, my kind of thing. That's why I'm so interested. And they figure out, like, based on the, our calculation, Phil Collins spent 33 years reporting the Groundhog Day over and over again. But 
interesting thing is that when this curse happened and he got stuck with this town, the only way to break this curse, obviously, as a rom-com movie, is by ha getting a true love entered into his life, obviously. The problem, being a cynical, being a person that is critical, you know, he's always coming with a negative side of the story and he's always chasing people away with his negativity. And he's trapped in this town for 33 years until he decided that I'm going to change my outlook and I'm going to be more optimistic. And when he decided that he's going to be more optimistic and positive, he becomes more attractive. He becomes more likable. And that is obviously when the curse was broken because somebody fell in love with him. And I'm sorry. But the thing that I want to bring up this is not the Groundhog Day movie. But the realization is that, is it true that sometimes our attitude is the thing that trap us? Out of the rut that we're in. Maybe it's our complaining, like the Israelites, that we keep on complaining. We keep on complaining. We don't have that winning mentality that God keeps on looking at the Israelites and saying that, nope, you're not ready to enter. Nope, you're not ready to win the battle yet. Nope, you don't have that winning mentality, that willingness to fight, to, to win. And I know if I let you into the land right now, you're going to lose all the battles that's in it. And the whole kingdom of Israelites is going to be gone. It's going to be obliterated. It's going to be no more. Maybe the reason that you're still stuck, maybe the reason that you are still wandering around is because God is looking at us and God is saying that, nope, not yet. I gotta make you ready. You gotta change the outlook in your life. Second thing, I want you, I want us to check. You know, when we're talking about freedom, how do we check that we still have our freedom? I want you to check next slide, please. Who do you put your trust in? There's a saying: be careful who you trust. Salt and sugar looks the same, right? Made this mistake before. I made this mistake before. Ever made a salty cake? Yep, been there. But it is so true that it is sometimes easy for us to look into a blessing, into, uh, in, looking into good things that happen in our life, and we put our trust in it. While it is not a firm foundation, it is something that, easy, that is easily shakable. You know, you can go to the next slide. Um, I'm really obsessed with documentaries, and one of the things that I like you can go to the next slide. One, one of the things that uh, I recently watched about is about Pajan. Pajan is a cruel process of taming an elephant. It is widely practiced, and if you understand this, you will also feel bad about it. Because Pajan, the very word actually means breaking the spirits. Breaking the spirits of an elephant. And the whole process of Pajan uh, started off because like it is not very economical it's kind of silly of actually raising a baby elephant from uh, being born until they're big it takes like a couple years until they can actually do the work it's better to take a wild young elephant and break their spirits and make them work that's what pajan is 
It's not farming. It's catching wild elephant and breaking their spirits. And the very cruel thing that they did is that they captured this elephant, they lock it in a very small uh, cage, deprive them of food, deprive them of social, deprive them of anything comfortable. They tie the elephant, they poke the elephant, they beat up the elephant. There's no rest, there's no hope until they finally lost their willingness to fight. When their spirit is broken, when they see that the elephant gave up, they will bring a mahout. Mahout is somebody that is, will ride the elephant, the trainer of the elephant. The elephant never sees this mahout before. But this mahout will suddenly come singing to the elephant, bringing food and water and peace of comfort. And when this mahout comes in, feed the elephant, give it something to drink, pat it, the elephant builds a bond with this mahout and feels like, you're my savior. In you, I trust. In you, I will trust my being. In you, I will trust my future. Now, the question for us is, do we have any mahout in our lives? Because life is very good as giving us bhajan. The life is very good at giving us problem, misery, lock us down, break our spirits. And sometimes that mahout will come to you, offering you false comfort, offering you something false, and we put all our hopes, all our dreams, all our future to this mahout. And it can be your job, because you were broke before, and you understand how how life can be so cruel. And you see your employer as your mahout. You build everything around it. Or maybe it's a relationship, you know, a toxic one until today maybe. But you still see it. That's my mahout. But I want to challenge us. Take a look at it again. If it's not the Lord, if it's not the Word of God, if it's not in God, in Christ Himself, that you put your trust, your faith, you know, maybe we have put our hopes in the wrong place. And I think, like, this is the whole reason why sometimes it's important, sometimes it's healthy for us to give. I don't want to make this whole preaching about giving, but I believe that, you know, money is a big thing in everybody's life. And sometimes we put our trust in the wrong place. We put our trust in mammon, in money. That becomes our mahout. And when we're giving back to the Lord, we're saying that money, you're not my mahout. Money, you're not my master. I'm not going to put my trust in you. That's why it hurts sometimes. But it's a good way of separating ourselves. It's a good way of not putting ourselves, uh, our trust and our future in money. I want to challenge us. Maybe you have mahouts in your life that you need to be separated from today. What is that mahout? Right? Do not crave for Egypt. Because if you read in Exodus 16, verses 3, this is just right after they went out of the Egypt and they got free. They got hungry and they start grumbling. If only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us into the land of this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Do not crave for Egypt. Separate yourself from your mahout. Because sometimes a pain not being, you know, but by what you thought be the master is a good thing. I want, uh, I want to challenge us to question ourselves on this one. If you want to have your freedom, you got to learn how to build your wall. All right? There's a saying in Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, Like a city that's been broken down without walls, it's a man whose spirit is without any restraint. A lot of times we think that when, when we're talking about freedom, freedom, it means no rules. But that's not true. Freedom doesn't mean that you don't have any walls. Freedom doesn't mean that you don't have any rules in your life. Freedom means that you have options to protect yourself. Freedom means that you still have that option to preserve, to preserve yourself, whatever that you do. And it, therefore, it's so important for us to have a wall around our lives. There's this story, a very old uh, Greek myth, story, legend, Odysseus by Homer. Not that Homer, but you got the idea. Homer is a famous writer back in the, those Greek era, and uh, he wrote a story about Odysseus. He's a Greek hero, myth, legend, and he's supposed to be an advisor, and he went back from the Trojan War back to his uh, Greek land. And during the, his travel back, there's this famous story about Odysseus and the sirens. The sirens is like the creature that has a, a, a form of a beautiful woman the feet of a bird. And the legend has it that they sing such a beautiful sound, such a beautiful song, that every single boat that will travel through their territory will always get lured and will always get destroyed uh, because they got too close to the rocky uh, parts of the ocean. It is so famous that the story, I wonder even if that is what really happens. Number one, who got to live to tell the story then? But that, that matter aside, Odysseus was trying to cross this land back to his home country. And he got to pass the land of the sirens. And he heard that the, the myth has it that the siren song is so beautiful that no one can escape it. Anyone that hears it will get lured and will eventually get destroyed. So in the story, Odysseus decided something that is very interesting. He decided, like, let me get, gather a bunch of beeswax, you know, uh, think about it like Play-Doh. And I want every single one of my men to put this Play-Doh thing in their ears so they will not be able to hear the siren song. But me, Odysseus, I'm so curious. I'm such an adventurous person. I want to hear what this song is about. And men, in order for us not to be destroyed, even though I have my ears open, I want you to tie me on this boat as hard as possible, as strong as possible. If you ever look at me yelling and screaming, do not loosen the rope. Bound me to this rope as hard as possible. And the man did bound Odysseus' heart on the, uh, on the boat. And they start crossing the land of the Cyrene. Truly, shortly after they got close to the land of the Cyrene, they started... 
Odysseus started to hear such a beautiful song. And he started screaming and yelling, let me go, let me go. Go to that place, go to that place, go to the where the sirens are. But they, they keep on going, going. And finally, they reach to their land. And the lesson out of here is that sometimes you need to bound yourself to something bigger, something greater in order for you to keep your true freedom. You got to bound yourself to your destination, to your calling in order for you not to be distracted and get your freedom away from you. But the question for us is sometimes, do we even have a rope? Do we even have boundaries in our lives that binds us? Because if you don't, it's just a recipe of disaster. Talking about habit, if you know that the thing that usually takes freedom is your credit card, I strongly encourage you to cut it into pieces. That may be your rope. If your enemy so far has been your internet and your bad habit, I strongly encourage you, maybe it's time for you to move that computer away. What is your siren? And what are the ropes that you can place in your life? Maybe your rope will be your accountability with your friends. Maybe your rope will be accountability with your partner. That you keep on opening an honest discussion of what's going on. Maybe your rope will be your bank account open to somebody else to review and to criticize you. But for all of us, we need to have this rope to bind us so that we can reach into our final destination. Amen. Let me close with this one final verse that is often misquoted, especially by the charismatic. It is from Luke 11, verse 24 until 26. In the story, Jesus said, you know, when an impure spirit comes out of person, it goes through and places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house that I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. And then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. I heard this verse so many times in context when people are talking about exorcism. Oh, you shall fill with a filthy spirit. If you leave your mind empty, you will be filled by the, by the, by the evil spirit. Maybe. But my learning out of here is this. If you just recently learned about your old habit, if you just recently got convicted out of something, immediately pick up a new habit. Immediately fill yourself with accountability. Because if you don't, you will fall back into your old habit. And even worse, because now you have learned that it didn't work for you. This verse is about a call to action. That if you know something has been robbing you away from your freedom, it's time for you to put a lock on it it's time for you to make an action on it. Not tomorrow, 
not next month but now is your time to take the action and to make the changes that you know is needed in your life amen let's all stand up just want to thank you this morning lord that you remind us who we are it is for freedom that christ has set us free no longer to be subject to the yoke of slavery and so god truly when the devil starts to remind us starts to ask and starts to treat us as their subject let us remind father the world let us remind the devil that I am free. I am in Christ. And I'm no longer subject to the yoke of your slavery. I am free in Christ. And you're no longer my master. You can't tell me what to do anymore. And today, if we've been full in submitting our freedom, we will come back and we will take away. We will take back what belongs to us that is our freedom that is our calling that is our purpose father god this morning father we just want to pray if there's any area father where the devil has foothold where they have bullying us father been lying to us taking us a subject we just want to pray for freedom i pray for everyone right now lord to be open up that we will take father the rights that we have received as your sons and daughters that we will be able to free i pray for changes i pray father for a change of direction i pray father that we will start taking the right options and directions in our life we thank you lord jesus let us be reminded today as your children that we are God's free children, sons and daughter of Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's lift our hands all together in this place and receive the blessing of the Lord. Father, you see every hands that are being lifted up right now. Let us be reminded who we are, sons and daughters of God. And let us go home, Father, from this place, carrying the peace and the freedom of the Holy Spirit from now on until eternity. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and in your mighty name, all God's people say, Amen. Amen.